0: Welcome to The Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host, Ali Houston, as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with The Canteen Podcast.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks and enjoy the show. Okay, and we're recording and I'm lucky enough to have with me today Dan Grief who uh, with his wife. Founded the low-carb food company, Deliciously Guilt-Free. Welcome, Dan. Hello, thank you. Great to be on the show,
0: and uh, I'm sure we've got lots to talk about. And also, thank you for inviting me today, because I've been listening to this podcast now uh, for the last few months, and really enjoying it. And it's always a bit strange when you're asked as a guest on a show, which you, in fact, listen to. So in a few weeks' time, it'll be very bizarre when suddenly my regular podcast listening has my voice coming back at me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I suppose it's a, an edifying experience. It's probably uh, testing See how it goes. The, <laughs> the, hard, the hard work that you've you put in. Um, maybe you can tell us about what deliciously guilt free is your company and yeah. the journey that led you to starting the company. Yeah. So um, okay. So what happened is in
0: 2015,
1: my wife Besma
0: was pregnant with Hannah, my daughter. And my wife is a doctor. She's somebody who's also a scientist. So when she got told one day that she had gestational diabetes, she decided to look into straight away options for how to manage that with health, uh, sorry, manage her health with diet. And so she started looking into alternative ways to eat to make sure she was managing her blood sugar. Now, as somebody who um, myself is not into science really at all, I mean, I've learned so much the last few years, um, I just kind of Listen to what she had to say. And we started listening to different YouTube videos which explained low carb and the impact that carbohydrate and in particular sugar has on our health. And we both kind of made the same decision to kind of just follow this way of life. Now, initially, I did that to support her, but I very quickly realized that in actual fact, I had big health issues. um, And I could see that one day I potentially could have diabetes because I've had a problem with my weight since about the age of about 20. Maybe 19, even as a child, I had issues with my weight as well. I would sometimes exercise quite a lot, uh, or I would maybe, you know, like eat certain foods, which I was told was bad for me. Um, and I kind of realized by doing low carb that I could exercise a little bit less and still lose weight, which was kind of a revelation to me because I always thought that maybe you had to earn uh, health, you had to earn, you know, your figure and your physique. And if you want to have a six pack, I guess that's true. But if you want to lose weight, I found that eating was the best way to do that. And secondly, it was so liberating because I've been somebody who's been a bit of a lamb and pork chop addict my whole life. Um, I've always loved the fat on the meats. I've always gone for that, and I've kind of had this battle for thirty odd years of being told you can't eat those things. Um, and by dropping the carbohydrate, by by dropping the sugar, and I now find myself eating the fatty cuts of meat. I'm really enjoying it. And it's like, this is the way I'm meant to eat. And I love it. And it's been such a revelation. So that's how we came into this um, way of life. And then after Hannah was born, we decided to do this uh, and just to carry on. And I must admit, we have sometimes dipped, we've sometimes had uh, little trip ups along the way, shall I say, um, you know, we, we try to choose a low carb diet as best we can. I'm, I'm becoming much more strict now, certainly the last year or so um and the longer i find i do it the easier it gets because then it becomes the choices i make are not radical anymore uh, they've become the established norm in my diet so you know i eat for instance mostly carnival really um i've, I've started having mct oil uh, in my black coffee in the morning um i don't eat breakfast until you know maybe well sometimes three o'clock in the afternoon or i fast for longer than i I didn't really plan to fast. It just sort of happened because I didn't feel hungry. And and I also didn't feel the need to keep eating food like I used to. So I've changed in that way as well. And now how that relates to the business is also an interesting story. So when I really started getting into this more and more in 2016 and 2017, um, I then decided, right, I want to do something in this area. I don't know what it is, but I, I honestly believe that this could change the world. Um, And so I started looking into maybe having a business. So I set up a company uh, called Good Low Carb. And my original thought was that I was going to sell people's products online. Um, And so I contacted this small business called Deliciously Guilt Free. So it wasn't founded by us. It was already established. And I spoke to the owner, Anita, and I just said to her, "Um, we'd like to potentially sell your brownies for you. Now, at the time, she had a small range of brownies that she was selling. And I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to do. Now, she said to me, well, actually, I'm going to give up the business and go to India to live the rest of her life, which was a bit of a surprise. But we got on really, really well on the phone and she said, do you want to come and meet sometime? And I said, well, actually, I'm going to London in a few weeks time. So we we met up. She gave me some of her brownies. I thought these were delicious. Um, And then she said, well, if you want the business, you can have it. And she gave it to me now that doesn't happen every day. Right. But anyway, so she gave me her recipe, she gave me her ideas and I thought, okay, there's a really good idea here. And basically we don't keep, uh, we don't sell her recipes apart from one now we've changed them all. So I've adapted them. I've I've changed over time by using her sort of first steps into that recipe development. And by developing things with, with things with a customer base, I now have a good sense of what customers like. And then I've adapted those ideas I must admit cooking with these ingredients is quite difficult. So, um, you know, you you kind of, having a starting point was really useful and I've developed that over the last two years where now things like the blueberry lemon drizzle cake uh, is very, very popular and that, you know, I couldn't have just cooked that from straight. You know, it's taken years of really thinking about concepts and the the flavors and how they all work. Um, And yeah, the business
1: is going really well. So we've been really growing well over the last two years. That's brilliant. That's really nice to hear. I think um, you and I are both in a similar space and uh, starting from a point of realising the power of food and what it can do for ourselves and then by implication, you know, what it can do for so many other people I is overweightness and um, diabetes and all the rest of it are such problems in the UK and worldwide and then looking around to find, you know, ways in which our um efforts and talents can be can be used to make a living whilst at the same time bringing um bringing the the benefits of this way of eating to other people so that's really cool but it's a bit of a left turn from what you were doing before isn't it because you stood as a parliamentary candidate for labor so what was that experience like and did you i was going to ask it's probably a long story about what, what that experience was like but you know also did you find it difficult to stick to your health goals during all that
0: oh that's a very good question um yeah it is a bit of a, a, a different journey i suppose but at the same time i'd also argue that they're very closely related to each other so um i've stood for, for parliament three times now uh 2015 2017 and 2019 and if i could meet myself in 2015 and say um, what it was going to be like over the next few years in politics, I don't think I would have actually believed myself. You know, it's, it's been the most bizarre time to be in politics. Um, and at the same time, I'm not in politics because I was never elected to parliament. So uh, being a parliamentary candidate is one of the most bizarre experiences ever. And what happened is I'll just go through the backstory there. So uh, I met my wife through the Labour Party. I've always been a Labour supporter, uh, always kind of had a very much a focus on social justice. So... Um, going back in my past before then, I was actually training to be a priest and I was in the Jesuit order and I went to Cambodia where I met the Jesuits in landmine clearance. And I thought that these guys have got social justice at their core and they want to make the world a better place. I want to be part of this. And then I went to Palestine. I worked in a refugee camp. Uh, I then taught in schools in Great Britain. Uh, when I left that training, because I wanted to get married and have a family one day, I thought, right, you know, I'll become a teacher. So I then went into education. And it was really at that point I decided, well, if I'm not going to be a priest, if I'm not going to be a missionary and sort of try and make the world a better place, then I'll do that for the Labour Party. And so I joined the party and got involved and very much took that social justice mission, I felt, uh, into the Labour Party. And that's where I met Bessemer and the rest is history. So with regards to the general election, I was never really planning to stand as a candidate. Um, I remember going to a meeting in Cambridge, where I live now, um, and I'd only lived in Cambridge for a few months and going to a meeting and people said to me, do you want to be a councillor, um, at the meeting? And I was like, I, I might be okay. Well, selections are next week. So put your name forward and I thought, okay, fine. And then that kind of went very, very well, became a council candidate. And then just circumstances led themselves to a seat being available where I lived. So I thought, well, I'll put my name forwards. And then I thought, hang on, if I'm going to go for this. I really should really go for it. So this was in March 2015, two months before the actual general election. I thought, right, I'm going to go and meet members in the constituency, talk to them about why I want to stand, have the conversation with people. There were a few hundred members at the time and see if I can get selected. And I'm not going to, I'm like that. I'm never going to put my name forward for the sake of it. I'm going to go for this 100% or not at all. So I thought that's it. I'm going to go for this. Uh, The selection we had four other people Um, you have a hustings where effectively members come to one place, they ask you questions, all the candidates, and then they vote for who they want to be their their parliamentary candidate for the party in that constituency. So I had somebody from Channel 4 there. Uh, We had a barrister. uh, He was very, very good. We had a local activist who's well-known. Uh, we had another guy who was standing, who's also uh, standing as a council candidate somewhere in the constituency. So these were well-known people, but because I'd had that conversation with people for weeks and weeks beforehand, going to their doorstep and knocking on their door, if they weren't there, leaving them a little card to say I was here at your doorstep, please give me a call. Uh, effectively, I knew everybody in that room, so I had the conversations with everyone, and and I knew the sort of questions I'd be asking because I'd already had the conversations with them, um, and I was selected, I was voted through as the candidate, and. I didn't honestly know what was gonna happen, but over the next few months, I just went to doorsteps, I knocked on doors, I made videos. I just thought with two months to the general election, I may as well do everything I can to get the message out. So I used my phone and just recorded conversations and ideas wherever I was. Um, and went to Hustings, and of course, at Hustings, you can get asked any question. I I guess people listening to this show might be around the world, but um, a Hustings is a bit like a primary in the States, or, um, you know, it's where you effectively go and get questioned, and people can then ask you anything at all. So I had to do my research on different policy areas, and I loved it because I love learning, and I love social justice issues, and I could talk about all of those. And for the first time in the constituency's history, I came second. Uh, increased the vote by quite a long way, um, and I don't think that's just me. I mean, when you stand for a party, it's the party that does well, not not the individual. I believe I believe the individual can have an impact, but it's because I was in the Labour Party that they voted for me. Um, then I stood in 2019, and we again, uh, sorry, 2017, and increased the vote share again. Uh, and then we've just had an election recently, a few months ago, and things didn't go quite so well. Um, and I guess that's the roller coaster of politics. You know, I've not won a seat yet, but I hope to one day. And that's part of my aspiration i would love to be an mp because i think and particularly nutrition is a big part of this there is so much we could do to change policy which would make so many people's lives better i mean in this country we have the national health service and it is spending billions of pounds to try and keep us healthy and i think we could save billions by trying to switch our diet. and if we could try and switch our diet in some way Can you imagine how much money that would save, but also how much happiness it would create in people's lives? Um, So in 2016, I remember reading Public Health England brought out a really quite shocking statistic saying that 3.8 million people had diabetes. Uh, And that was a few years ago now. I'd like to see what the number is currently. And I just think how many people could be trying to help with type two diabetes and gestational diabetes by letting them know about a better way of eating. So you could say it's it's a bit different to my business, but in a way they tie into the same thing because with Deliciously Guilt Free, you get an email from somebody who has maybe never had a sweet thing for the last 10 years or so and suddenly they can eat it again and it changes their life. And that's what I'm trying to do. I've got a business in an area that I feel passionate about and I hope one day to become a politician uh, and get elected to something where I can actually change that policy for the good.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, really nicely put. Um, and, you know, picking up again on um, – how you found your health goals during that period. Do you think specifically the process of standing as a parliamentary candidate made it more difficult to be healthy? That's a great question. And yeah, sorry I didn't answer that. Um, no, it's all right. I, was, yeah. I gave you two big questions really. So that's no,
0: no, it's fine. fine. I, I could talk for England or Great Britain. Um, so yeah, so with regards to health goals, um, what I find is, because I, I work quite often on my business, so I can, I'm in control of my time, apart from I do some extra teaching, I can pretty much control what I'm eating. I must admit, there's two things in politics that I've become aware of. Firstly, in election campaign mode, the timetable is kind of, it goes out the window and things are coming at you from all angles. And I found actually keto in particular was really useful for that because I was fasting quite often without feeling it at all. And so I found that actually skipping a meal or two wasn't a hardship for me. So I found that quite simple. Um, the only thing is, there was one point in the election campaign is a bit awkward where uh, we'd done a canvassing session in the village. Um, I didn't, for some reason, have my wallet with me. Now, there's, there's very strict rules around elections. So I couldn't, for instance, go to the pub and buy drinks for people because, especially in your constituency, that might be seen as influencing their vote. Um, uh, so I got kind of used to not having a wallet, and because I wasn't eating anything myself, uh, I, I didn't feel the need to buy stuff. But in a social context, it's really awkward if you're there with other people and they're eating and you're not. So this one time, and actually to be fair, I was a little bit hungry, and this lady very kindly offered to buy me lunch. And what are you gonna say in that situation? You can't say, uh, yes, I'd love lunch now can I have the ri- the ribeye, please? Um, you know, that'd be so rude, wouldn't it? So I thought, okay, just, just whatever she provides is fine. Like soup or something. She so came back with fish and chips and I thought, Oh God, that would be one of my favorite meals. Wouldn't it? Uh, outside of UK listeners, you probably think that's our national dish. Well, for me, it probably is one of my favorites. So I was a little bit, uh, yeah, tempted. So she brought it for me and I thought, well, I'm going to have to eat this because of the social stigma of not eating it. So I, I ate this food. And then for about a week, I found myself eating carbs. And I was like, oh, you know, I knew that was going to happen because the white flour in particular, I'm sure for me, it's a drug which my body craves. And as soon as I have white flour in the batter, that was it. I was off. Uh, I was off to the races. So, yeah, it was tricky in that way. That was one of the only times I found it that hard. But the second thing I noticed about politics and food generally is that there can be, if you're not careful, a lot of alcohol consumption. So, you know, for instance, we'd have meetings where the natural thing is to say, oh, let's go to the pub afterwards. And I've never been a massive drinker. I, I did, I do like beer. I'm more probably of a red wine person if I had to drink an alcoholic drink. But I found in the end, you're going to the pub as a social place. And so it's just natural that you get a pint bought for you and you buy a pint for somebody else. So you're buying, you're drinking two pints, which is a bit like drinking a loaf of bread, really. And I think you've got to be very careful. And, and it's a very well-documented thing here of politicians who they go to parliament and there are a number of bars which are subsidized by the taxpayer which i think is ludicrous and they go there and they, they they drink alcohol almost every day and i think it's a really bad habit and you know you don't need booze well if you need booze to have a conversation with somebody i think you've got a problem um you know and i think that's one thing i was very aware of and because of low carb i think it's meant that i've tried to keep away from that or i'll just have a soft drink which ideally i wouldn't have really if i if i was at home i'd never drink coke zero but i would as a okay it's a compromise and you know i've never been into spirits and stuff which are low carb um apart from when i went to scotland and had their scotch which is amazing um but then it's a bit heavy isn't it and i think well probably best to leave, avoid the booze so yeah so booze can be a bit of a pit a pitfall in this life And I think you've just got to be a bit honest about that and say to people that I just don't drink or I I don't fancy it. And I think people are coming around to that as that's more normal now. I think in the past it was more abnormal in politics, but I think people are now getting more used to that as a concept. That's interesting.
1: Um, As someone who has a food company, what do you think about people who say food companies are all ultimately in it for themselves? Um, I mean, say you grew really big. How would you protect your customers from, you know, potential shady dealings in, in, uh, in providing food to them? Ooh,
0: that's a good question. I mean, well, firstly, do I agree with the first statement? Um, okay, any business is in it for itself and as much as is a profit incentive, uh, otherwise you're running this as a charity. And well, to be fair, the last couple of years it has been that way sometimes because when you're starting out, as you know yourself, a startup isn't easy. Um, and you know, the way you set up your business, the way that you work in your business, sometimes you find yourself working in your business more than you're working on your business. And I've certainly found that a lot. And then you look at the books and you think, why are we doing this? But then I think that the main question there that is missing maybe is why you're doing it. And if you are literally running a food business just for money, which I know there are many businesses that are like that then I think you're going to have more of those bad practices coming in because you're not trying to protect the customer. You don't care if you're selling it only on price, for instance, then you probably don't care too much which customer is buying your food as long as they're paying. And that's not what our business is about at all. Now I've got a story to tell you. This was uh, told to me by somebody uh, recently and he works for different companies around the world and he said he went to America and he was talking to this executive in a food company. And, and she said, well, come around to my house for dinner. So they went, we went over for dinner one evening. And this lady's daughter took some food from the cupboard. And it was a packet of the food that this company makes. And obviously that will remain nameless. But anyway, this daughter decided to open a packet of food, start eating it. The mother went over and said, put that down now. Do not eat that. That's fake food. It's not real. It's not food. Now, she is working in the company making a profit from that food. She will not let her own daughter eat it. And I've heard, this is only anecdotal, but I've heard that's quite a common experience. Like Lots of people in those big food companies would not let their own children eat the food that they sell to you and I uh, in the supermarkets. Now, if that's the case, you've got to ask yourself the question, are they really doing what's in your best interest? Or, as I suspect, I think certain foods are actually trying to make you hungry. They're not trying to fill you. And they're trying to make you have a taste for something that you're not going to buy once you're going to buy continually again and again and again. And again, trying to be a bit careful about this. I think there are foods out there which are used on purpose or substances that are used to make that happen. And for me, certainly I think carbohydrate is addictive to me. I think there also sugar has a certain bliss point that will make us want to go back to that again and again. Now in my business, I'm making something that is only good enough for me and my family to eat. I don't put preservatives on my food. It's all fresh. It's baked every week and then we send out each week what's baked. If there's anything left over at the end of the week, which generally there isn't, then that's what I will eat with my family. We don't send that out to customers. We keep up to date with our stock so that it's always fresh for them. Now in the future, we would like to go into retail. I think that's the option we want to go down. And I spoke to a food scientist recently about how we could preserve our food for longer in the most natural, clean way. If it's not clean, then it's not good enough. And if I wouldn't, you know, if I wouldn't eat it, then why would I expect my customers to? So I want to take our customers with us on that journey. And when we then start experimenting with new ideas, I want their feedback. What works for them? What do they think is acceptable? What's not acceptable? Uh, We're going to look at, for instance, the, Uh, water activity in our products and how can we then try and find a preservative that maybe stops mold growing in water activity different levels so maybe we could try and make our product a bit drier without maybe making it so dry that it's not palatable and all those questions I want our customers to come with us so that in the end it's their product that they like and if they want it and we've got a really good I mean I love our customers like our friends really if they are if they're happy then I'm happy that we've got the right way and as long as we stay true to our values and we stay true to that customer base then
1: I don't think we will go wrong that makes a lot of sense um yeah so you went through low carb together with your wife Besma am I saying that right Besma
0: yeah, that's right. In fact, you're the only one who gets it right. Most people say Basma, so yeah, it's, it's spelled like that. Yeah. But yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Do you think it would be possible to do it alone without support from your partner like that? Really good question. So I
0: also have established I'm setting up a podcast, which hasn't launched at the time of the recording this, um, but it's coming out soon, UK Low Carb. And somebody actually wrote in, because what we do in the podcast is we ask for stories and we also have questions which are you know sent in for our co-host and i to talk about and a lady sent in an anonymous email came in from a lady who said um she started low carb a few months ago her husband is against it because he thinks that in fact i think it's keto he thinks it's unhealthy and she does the cooking now he likes pasta he likes potatoes Uh, She doesn't eat that stuff. But every time they have a meal, they have, as she described it, that conversation about the food. And I thought to myself, in that situation, I find that very hard to have a partner who thinks not only eats differently to me, which is, you can handle that, I think, but also thinks what I'm doing is dangerous and has that conversation. I think that would be really quite challenging. And one thing that's been beneficial to me is that um, Besma has really, I think, because she led the way on this, she did the research and she looked into it. And then we together have kind of embraced this way of life. It's made it so much easier. You know, we, we cook the same meal and we eat the same food, we don't have to do different things. Um, you know, she eats more green vegetables, I tend to be more carnival, but that's fine. It's it's really a very minor difference. And certainly things like keto flu or whatever, but we, you know, in the early days we weren't sure what we're doing really, but we had each other and that really helped us. What I think must be hard is if you're in an environment where you've got somebody eating a very different meal to you. And I think willpower is really overrated. You know, willpower is pretty useless in my opinion. Uh, I've always got willpower in a very particular window in my life between the 1st of January and the 7th of January. And then after that I'm going solo. And I think we put far too much down to willpower. And I've got a window of willpower. Um, I always think between like the 1st of January and the 7th of January, I've got all the willpower in the world. And then after that, it kind of tails off a little bit and I'm flying solo and I've got to try and think, right, how do I try and maintain something? And I honestly believe that if we try to change our environment, to try and support our choice, then things are always easier. You know, if you have... Uh, a kitchen where you've only got food which is appropriate to what you want to eat what your choices are and you remove the temptations and that's what I picked up from my podcast so far lots of the guests come on and they talk about you know this dramatic change where some of them will describe going to their kitchen and thinking right that's it I'm doing keto now I don't need these sweets the pasta is going to be chucked in the bin whatever it might be they get rid of all of that stuff chuck it away and then they fill up their cupboards with things they can eat And that means if you do get the craving feeling or you do start missing something, it's just not there for you. So it's not easy to get hold of. You know, you're not going to think to yourself, oh, I want something so badly. I'm now going to get in my car, drive to the shop, go and buy it and eat it. Whereas if it's in your cupboard, you might do that. So I think in all honesty, you know, being the two of us, Besmer and I, doing this way of life, we've made our environment now, which is naturally low carb. Um, we have kids who do eat some carbohydrate because I'm, you know, a bit more dubious about that. I want to make sure that they have more of a balanced diet for now and then if they're older they can choose that that's up to them. But I must admit it's nothing that tempts me at all. Um I think I was always tempted in the past by pastries and you know like the you get the bacon turnover and things like that, which I never had at home anyway. So I just avoid bakeries and that makes it a bit
1: easier. That makes sense. Um I'm the same really I kind of there's certain shops and aisles in the supermarket that I just don't consider to be places that sell food yeah Um, and that makes it a bit easier I think I've said before that i I've got some red lines around food and some people don't like thinking about food like that but it's helpful for me and there's certain things that I just don't consider to be food anymore and that makes things nice and easy for me you know Um, what
0: I think as well I've been in the same boat where um, I'll I'll talk about something that happened during the general election where I actually slipped up um, because what happened is you know, you, you kind of want convenience food. And so I did this mistake of getting Southern fried chicken from the supermarket instead of just normal chicken and thinking, ah, oh, well, it's just chicken, isn't it? You know, uh, well, we'll, we'll ignore the breadcrumb part, which is gorgeous. Whacked that in the oven. And then I started finding that I was putting weight on, which is bizarre when you think you've only got a little bit of flour around the actual chicken, but it made the difference. And secondly, and this is really odd. Um, only a, like a week or two after that, I, I remember walking... And actually thinking about this dish, thinking, I really want some of that chicken. And I thought, what is wrong with me? It's just breaded chicken, man. Like, this is crazy. But I suddenly realized, yep, that's my craving. I was feeding it again. And so it was starting to, you know, like bubble up inside me like a dragon. Like, you know, we want to get more of that breaded chicken. And so I decided, okay, I've never had that before in my life about a piece of beef or, you know, some cheese or anything that's just protein and fat. Uh, Or green vegetable like spinach. I've never gone around thinking, I've got to get some spinach in me now. And yet, the breaded chicken, like the chicken itself, I didn't desire, it was the bread. And it's interesting how that triggered it in me again. And I was back to where I was. And then it's a bit of an insight because I realized, yeah, that's probably how I have been for the last 35 years of wanting something so badly, not realizing I probably had a craving, which was like, you know, being fed by eating this stuff and then it's making the craving worse. An actual fact, I need to go kind of cold turkey again. And that's what I've done. And now I pretty much just eat meat, uh, some fish now and again, uh, green vegetables now and again, but not so often, and fat. And that's it. And when I do that, I feel liberated. And the liberation you get from food is incredible. And I think you're right. So many people eat food that's not really food. They go to the processed part of the supermarket. It doesn't matter if it's plant-based or meat-based. If it's processed, I think it's not real food. And when you start eating just real proper food for your body, A, you don't feel hungry all the time. And B, I think you feel the sense of, well, I'll, I'll skip a meal and I won't feel the hunger. So I don't feel like I've got to eat. There's no compulsion to keep filling your mouth, which is what I was doing. You know, I was eating breakfast, followed by a snack, followed by lunch, followed by a snack, followed by dinner, followed by something in the evening, probably. And just when was I ever given my body a chance to actually digest and just to stop to stop processing food? Um, and I probably wasn't. I was just in that cycle all the time, and it's yeah. and it's it's so damaging. Uh, and I've seen the damage it's done to me. Um, and, I, and reversely, I've also seen by not doing that, the impact it's had on my health and how much sharper I can feel, how much more energy. Um, you know, I was going to hustings fasting because I just thought I don't want to be digesting food while I'm sat there having questions thrown at me. And I thought, you know, 7 in the evening, I've been working all day, putting the kids to bed, uh, you know, or helping put the kids to bed, bathing them, uh, doing the nursery job office in the morning, all of that stuff, and preparing for this. And now I'm being asked questions, and I, my brain is not dipping. Whereas the brain fog I would have had before then, I'd imagine, must have made that much more difficult.
1: Yeah. So talking about the political side of things, what um, if you were, you know, Minister for Health, Um, what would you, what would you do? I think that's a fraught question, you know, there's people on all sides of the debate who are calling for more or less legislation uh, as the answer to the health problems, but what would you like to see?
0: Well, um, probably save there the most controversial question, because (laughs) as you said, you know, this is an area where um, there is a lot of debate going on right now. I find it fascinating before I even go into the politics behind uh, what I would do. I find it fascinating that science uh, is there and the research has being done But the debate quite often is not really about the science or it's about an interpretation of the science. And we seem to be locked into battle right now. So I'm just going to tell you a story before I get to that, whereby I put a picture of some meat on my Facebook profile wall. I mean, what was I doing thinking that I should go on Facebook because particularly in this country the last few years with brexit and everything else i've found that a lot of social media with regards to politics can be a little bit hostile right now so putting up a picture of a steak i thought was pretty innocent anyway it then meant that i got into this um i didn't mean to but somebody came back who's a vegan who had an issue with my food and said they thought i wanted to become vegan what happened now I never said i want to become vegan all i did was ask that person previously uh what could they tell me about the research into the health benefits of becoming vegan because like yourself i want to know what the science is behind all this and she provided me with lots of information i read it and unfortunately and i said this to her a lot of the research she showed me i I could with my non scientific background pick apart bits of it and i was like well surely you don't believe that because that's a correlation. That doesn't mean causation. And, and I can see that. I mean, you and I have talked about this before, haven't we? And the examples you told me, were great. Um, which I'm sure you share in a moment, but you know, I just said, I, I don't think that that's true. And I, I have an issue here anyway, in this 21st century age that we're in, what she didn't know is I'm a member of a vegan uh, Facebook group that she's in as well. And everything I was writing to her, she was pasting in a vegan Facebook group the vegan community was then not only answering my points to then sent back to me, but were also quite nasty about me as well. Saying that I was, you know, not that I was just questioning and asking them questions about the diet more that, you know, this guy sounds like he's, well, pretty much evil. And, and he's ignorant and he's stupid. and He doesn't understand. And I thought now they don't know it's me, but I can see their points. She doesn't know I'm in this group, but I can see what she's writing about me. This is really weird. I'm actually seeing my own points being dissected by community. Anyway, then about an hour later, I'd get all the points copied and pasted from this group on my wall. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a, you know, how do I how do I tackle this? Do I tell her, by the way, I'm in that Facebook group. I can see what's going on here, but I didn't want to embarrass her. So I thought, oh, God. So I said, can we just DM each other? Why is this on my wall? So then we tried to DM each other. And everything I was writing was going on this Facebook group. And then I was getting the answers back. And I kept answering with what I was thinking. And then she said, where are you getting this stuff from? And I thought, well, unlike you, I know where you're exactly getting this stuff from. Um, And so it got to the point where I said in the end, I don't think we can have a conversation because she was seeing me through the lens of her views in such a way that if I even questioned, uh, you know, like carbohydrates in the diet, I didn't even say about eating meat or anything. I just said, I want to cut down on my carbohydrate because of course her diet was mostly carbohydrate. That was criticizing her choice. And I was like, I don't want to get into that. That's your choice. But it was very emotive. And I realized that these, all these food issues are incredibly emotive and you have to be so careful. Uh, And I think ultimately it comes down to the science. You've got to just try and get back to the science. And my whole interest is nutrition. Now I want to have environmentally friendly food. I I am concerned about animal cruelty. I do want animals, uh, you know, to suffer as little as possible, if at all. Uh, and I do understand that there's a conflict there sometimes the low carb. I get that. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not somebody who doesn't care about these things. I do. But at the same time, my main focus is nutrition. And if we can get nutrition right for people, then I think that's where, as Hippocrates said, let food be their medicine. If we get to the very heart of that, then we can make people's lives better. So regards to politics and what I'm working on. So for the last few years, I've been making connections with people, um, and trying to start up a group, which has been a very controversial thing. Um, uh, we don't really have a name for this group, but I suppose you could call it the labor campaign for low sugar. And I think the first point would be to look at the sugar intake that people have to educate people, to make them aware uh, of what sugar is doing to them. Because I honestly think that low carb is probably a step too far for too many people straight away but sugar is one of those things you can work with quite quickly. And I think, you know, we've got people in the UK who are becoming more aware of sugar, but it's the policy makers I think have to step up and do something about this. So in this country, George Osborne brought in the sugar tax, um, which I feel is a little bit regressive to poorer people. I think, you know, there, there are a lot of people I spoke to about this on the doorstep who feel like, you know, they're being targeted to pay more money. And actual fact, they're not seeing it as being something they should change and adapt their habits. They're seeing it as something that's just an extra tax. So how you, in, how you inform and change that is going to take time. And I don't pretend to have the answers. But I think the first steps we're at the moment is to reach out so that eventually we can have enough people in the Labour Party so that we can affect our manifesto. And when we come to the next general election, we can have policies, whatever they may be in the future. And we want to bring the best minds in this around the world, really, because we're talking to a, a senator candidate in the, at the moment in the States in New York. Um, in one of the, um, sorry, New York State um, about this too and about how we can work with other parties around the world to really start developing policies that eventually will be enacted by governments that will start changing this trend. But it's, it's really hard. You know, you think about an oil tanker changing direction. You know, we've had 40 years of this kind of health policy and it does take time to change opinion. And it's fascinating to me how we're going back to how our grandparents used to eat, how they used to view food and i think you know we will get there but it's going to take time and hopefully this group is part of that and if anyone's interested then yeah please get in touch
1: brilliant well we can get we can link any uh any of the um social media uh places or websites that you want on the on the show notes for that Cheers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want to get in touch by email, I'll give you my, my
0: labor email, which is different. So yeah. if you're interested in the sort of policy side of things, it's office at uk. So dangreef, D-A-N-G-R-E-E-F for Foxtrot.org.uk. Um, so yeah, get in touch. And if you want to like work on that, then you're more than welcome. And I think over the next few years, we're going to see some big changes there. So, you know, in the labor movement, certainly Tom Watson is a real uh, icon for a lot of us because if you don't know, he, you know, he changed his diet over a summer, I think, in about two years ago, cut out the carbs, ingested more fat instead, and his weight just dropped off him. And that's really inspiring for us. So, you know, I think that's woken up more people to this, but certainly it's a work in progress. And between that, the business and other things, it's, you know, I've got to try and put time in where I can. So that's why I want this to be a group. I think we achieve much more by working together with people. Um, And so, you know, if I can start that off, then other people get involved and, and run with it fine ultimately for me it's about how can we make millions 3.8 million people or more now uh, who are diabetic and people who are suffering with obesity and all these other things how can we make their life happier and how can we save money for the national health service which does an amazing job but is being
1: crippled by bad diet that's a, a nice message to end on I think we can uh, we can see that there's hope there especially with uh, you know folk like yourself and Tom Watson doing what they can to get the word out so um, again I really appreciate you taking the time to come on um, and we'll link to everything in the in the show notes about where people can find you and what way they can uh, buy some deliciously guilt-free treats which I've Thanks. tried and are, are delicious
0: thank you i'm glad you like them and uh i don't know if you've tried the newest flavors but uh we tried now to bring out a different flavor each month and we're just trying to throw stuff at the wall really and see what goes down well and we, it's going well actually i think people like variety they like change they like things like that and uh yeah the next few years you know we'll see where it goes next um it, i'd be lying if i said i knew exactly but it is exciting running a business isn't it and uh You know, you you kind of learn so much as you do it that then informs your next steps. So it'll be very interesting to see how the future turns out for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Dan. Cheers, Ali. Great chatting to you today. Cheers. Thanks, bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and see you next time.